I would like to talk more with you about the yoga life. Uh, first, I'd like to mention, as I think I've mentioned before, the importance of the Bhagavad Gita. The whole scripture is directed to a yogi. So all 700 verses speak to the yogi. And I'm quite convinced that the study of the Gita is a lifelong study. Yogaraj Shyamacharya Lahiri Mahashai required his disciples to study the Gita daily. This shows how important the great master realized that the Gita was for the yogi. The best translation I have found is the one that's called Bhagavad Gita, the Song of God. This is a translation by Swami Prabhavananda, who was the head of the Vedanta Society of Southern California. I heard Prabhavanandaji speak, and he was truly a brilliant and gifted man. And this translation presents the Gita more perfectly than any I've ever come across, although later on I'd like to talk about some other Gitas that you might want to use for deeper study. But until then, I really advise that you get it. Bhagavad Gita, the Song of God, you can get it through Amazon. The Gita says, Great is that yogi who seeks to be one with Brahman. Greater than those who mortify the body, greater than the learned, greater than doers of good works, therefore become a yogi. And that's why I'm spending so much time on this, because the subject of the yoga life is the most important subject we can talk about. First, of course, for the yogi, there's meditation. And I'd like to read just a few things about that for you. The greatest yogi of India was Goraknath. Sometime, perhaps, we can go into a consideration of his life. But he was the greatest of the yogis of India through the centuries. In one of his writings called Gorak Rahasyam, he says, He who aspires to any attainment without the practice of yoga meditation cannot succeed in hundreds of years. So obviously this is a very valuable and a very serious subject. Real meditation is a process of centering our awareness in our essential being, which is pure consciousness. That's why Lala Yogeshwari, the very renowned Kashmiri yogini, wrote in one of her hymns, My teacher spoke to me but one precept. He said unto me, From without enter the inmost part. That to me became a rule and a precept. She took this as a guiding principle for her whole life. Go from outward to inward. Find the core, the center of your being. The Gita itself also says, Only that yogi whose joy is inward, inward his peace, and his vision inward, shall come to Brahman and know Nirvana. So the Mundaka Upanishad says, With mind illumined by the power of meditation, the wise know the self, the blissful, the immortal. 
there's, as I say, no more important subject then than this subject of yoga and the yoga life. Because meditation has to become the heart, the dominant factor of our life. Meditation is not a condiment. Yoga is not a condiment that you just add in. In other words, you're cooking a dish. You say, oh, it lacks something or it's rather boring. And then you find something on the shelf and you say, oh, this might do. You drop it in, you stir the pot, you taste it and say, ah, that's it. No. Yoga is not an additive to our life. Yoga is our life. We have to have this understanding. Because only in this way will God become the heart, the ruler of our life. How do we know we're progressing in meditation? Well, we can turn to a great master, a great master yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda. He gave a talk called The True Science of Progress in Meditation. And then at the end, he gives a list of seven indications of progress in meditation practice. They're pretty well self-explanatory. I don't think I'll need to comment on them, but let's take them carefully, one at a time. One, an increasing peacefulness during meditation. Now you see people think that all of a sudden some tremendous surge of energy should go up their spine hit them in the head, and they'll see like a shower of sparks like 4th of July fireworks, or perhaps even the favorite expression from the Bhagavad Gita, the light of a thousand suns, and all the symphony of the cosmos comes to them, and so on. Yogananda does not say that. And Yogananda was someone who had had all these experiences. If you've read Autobiography, and I certainly hope you have, you've read of marvelous experiences that he speaks of. But here he tells us it's an increasing peacefulness during meditation. We can think, well, I just feel calm, but then when's something going to happen? That's just something that happens because that is part of the experience of our true self. The second sign the Master gives us is a conscious inner experience of calmness in meditation metamorphosizing into increasing bliss. In other words, there is a calm joy which then should arise from the peacefulness. Yogananda wrote a very beautiful, simple chant, O Thou King of the Infinite. And in one part it says, I behold thee in samadhi in joy in thy mellow light of joy. Or some versions say, in the light of mellow joy. Both mean the same thing. The third point he gives, a deepening of one's understanding and finding answers to one's questions through the calm, intuitive state of inner perception. Now here we see, that he doesn't want us to be continually dependent on just scriptures, any kind of inspirational books, or upon a single person, but rather to become more and more self-sufficient and become our own teacher. 
the great master Swami Brahmananda, disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, said, in time the yogi's mind becomes his guru, becomes his teacher. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, if you can weigh salt, you can weigh sugar. Meaning, if you have proficiency in external life, you can have proficiency in internal life. Yogananda says for the fourth point, an increasing mental and physical efficiency in one's daily life. In other words, in the very way we live outside of meditation, this shows whether we're making progress or not. Sri Ramakrishna used to say it a bit more bluntly. He would say, be a devotee, but why a fool? And many of the lessons he gave to his disciples were just on how to do things. He even gave instruction to disciples on how to go to a marketplace and buy something. Because this isn't significant. The mind is a whole thing. If we're lazy, if we're careless, if we're indifferent in one aspect of our life, it will cross right over into our spiritual life. The fifth sign of progress in meditation is love for meditation and the desire to hold on to the peace and joy of the meditative state in preference to attraction to anything in the world. Well, we could give a whole talk just on that, couldn't we? But to love meditation. Many people take meditation like a dose of bitter medicine. Many of them even try to avoid it. A friend of mine was a disciple of one of these glitter gurus who actually taught people a practice that overloaded their nervous system and actually was harmful to them and caused neurological difficulties. And she was so desperate to not meditate that one time when he was visiting the center she belonged to, they were all in this room and the door was behind him. And uh, so there was no other way out. And so he said, all right, now let's, let's have a good meditation. And my poor friend Pat actually figured out how to jimmy open the window behind her. She climbed out the window and went home. Why? Because she was a worldly, unspiritual person? No, because she couldn't stand what that practice did to her inner mind and her nervous system. And she was right. So I want to say this. Oftentimes, aversion for meditation shows that the person either has a wrong meditation practice or they have a right practice that they are practicing wrongly. And that should be faced up to and should be considered. And then the desire to carry into life the experience of meditation and preferring that above having fun and all these distractions that the world so much loves. The sixth point is an expanding consciousness of loving all with the unconditional love that one feels toward his own dearest loved ones. Now this isn't easy because a lot of people are very unlovable or non-lovable sometimes if they're not outright negative. But this is a sign to care for others that's real love. To just say, oh, when I look at people, tears come into my eyes and my heart just sort of swells up and I realize, oh, they're wonderful. They're my brothers and sisters. No, it's 
doing something about it, actually living out that expanding consciousness of unity with all beings. The Bhagavad Gita speaks of this continually. And the final step, actual contact with God and worshiping him as ever new bliss felt in meditation and in his omnipresent manifestations within and beyond all creation. In other words, real communion with that God that is Sat-Chit-Ananda. Absolutely true, real consciousness of bliss. Ananda. This is the sign of progress in meditation. And worshiping God is that. Not playing with dolls in the form of pretty images of various deities and so on or if not images, pictures. And I tell you that because I was extremely actually addicted to that kind of worship until one day in a, a private talk with Ma, she leaned forward and looked at me steadily and said, you have to understand that all this is nothing more than playing with dolls. So uh, I'm passing Ma's wisdom on to you, even if it may be as shocking to you as it was to me. But this is a God we should worship, the inner God, the inner experience, and then to see God within all the creation and have an intuition of him beyond all creation. The oldest of the Upanishads, the Isha Upanishad, opens with this verse or with this sentence. All this, whatever exists in this changing universe, should be covered by the Lord. This is very, very important because we have the idea, oh, see God behind everything. See God in everything. And that's a very good idea. But the highest is to see God first to see everything in God rather than God in everything. In other words, the primary thing before a vision is God. And then through that light, we see everything else. This is an extremely important point, usually overlooked by all of us. I would like to uh, end with this, because the great master Yogananda's teachings are the supreme treasure that we have, whether we live in the East or whether we live in the West. And these seven points are so very important. So next time we can go further in the aspects of the yoga life that we need to be aware of and deal with in the best, most beneficial way for us.